You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. It's great to see you. Jamin, thank you so much for the great introduction. Don't get your hopes up. It's not going to be that awesome, but Jamin is a dear friend. I'm really grateful to be here this morning. I do love Citizens Church, and I love the men and women that make up your leadership team. I've known them for a long time. You guys are being shepherded by some of the most gifted shepherds I have ever met in my entire life. In this place, I know this group of people, I know over the last six months, a lot of things have happened in and around you that you have not expected. In some ways, maybe it has been harder than you expected. But what we hear and what we see over and over again as we look at Citizens Church is that the Lord is doing something incredibly important, incredibly significant, and very surprising. And at the same time, so gracious, so merciful, So awesome, so praiseworthy. And so I'm grateful to be with you this morning, but know that this morning is not the first time I've thought about you in the last couple months. This morning is not the first time I've spoken to people about what the Lord is doing in Plano. We pray for you as a staff at Eastside. We've prayed for you in our prayer nights as a people at Eastside. As you guys have launched out and gone from a campus to being an independent church, we have prayed and thought about you every step of the way. And so we love you. And while I love Eastside Community Church and my heart really desires to be there among my people this morning, it is at the same time a profound honor to be with you. So thank you so much for having me. Last week, Jamin preached to you about a holy discontentment, a holy sense that what is happening in the world or what is going on around us should be different, that something should change. And that's for good reason. Things should change. This morning, I want to talk to you about disappointment, about a sinful version of wishing things were different, about looking at my circumstances and the things around me and just realizing things are not what I expected, nor are they what I hoped, and feeling that sadness and disappointment. So today's topic and title of today's sermon is disappointment. And all week, uh, there's something that's really uh, kind of tickled my mind about that. I've kind of giggled internally. You know, you probably have this friend or maybe you are this person. When somebody does something funny, a lot of you laugh. And then there's always one guy that instead of laughing just says, well, that's funny. Or he says, well, that's hilarious. Everybody else is laughing. You're like, that's funny. We know it's funny. We're all laughing. We get it. But that person just says, that's funny. And I've had, it's not an LOL. It's not a laugh out loud moment. But there's been kind of this little, this little image in my mind that's gone through over and over again. I've just thought, what if I pulled into Citizens Church on Sunday morning and on their beautiful marquee, my church doesn't even have a building, let alone a sign with like lights and flashing lights. It's so cool. But what if I pulled in and it said, guest preacher, Adam Griffin, disappointment. It was like, what if I pulled in and it was like, hey, Adam Griffin, don't get your hopes up. You know, that'd be awesome. Or you check Instagram this week and it was like, Adam Griffin, not what you expected, but hey. Well, that's this morning. That's what I'm going to preach on. I'm going to preach on disappointment. It's not going to be the most discouraging sermon you've ever heard, I hope. But certainly I want to tackle the fact that disappointment is very real and very real, particularly at this time of year. This is the season of giving, the season of gifts, and what could be more disappointing than opening something you didn't want or opening something and seeing it's less than what you've wanted. This is a season of gift giving. For those of you guys who are into the love language, how many guys are into the the gifts is your love language? How many guys? Yes, hands high. Thank you. This is a great season for you. Andres, this is a great season for you. Congratulations. This is a gift giving season. Now, I don't like to brag on myself here. I 
Gifts is one of my love languages, but I'm actually fluent in all five love languages. I love all of the love languages. A lot of people, you know, maybe have one, you like receiving gifts, you like maybe words of affirmation. I, I will take them all. So if you have words for aff- of affirmation for me, I promise you, I will receive them this morning. I won't say, that's great, but get me something. Or if you want to give me a hug, I'm not into like hugging everybody and strangers, but I, I receive hugs. That's fine. Or acts of service, if somebody wants to do something for me, I speak that language. Do something. Yes. Awesome. Or what are the other ones? Who even knows? Yeah, saying, giving me something. I'll take it. My, when I was in college, I had a professor who said, if you can speak all five love languages, you are what is called high maintenance. <laughs> and to him, to him I say, if the shoe fits, I will wear it. I don't really understand people that say they have one love language anyway. Like if I did something kind for you, would you really say, thanks for serving me, but I'd rather you just say something nice? Like, no, nobody does that. I love gift giving. I love gift receiving. This is a season of joy for me. But I also know that a season of gift giving leads to a season of disappointment. If you think for a second, I bet any one of us in this room can come up with a for sure answer, or maybe a list of the greatest gifts you've ever received. If I gave you five minutes, you could think, and you could go, yeah, I remember getting this from somebody, and it was a sheer delight. Or you opened a box on Christmas morning or your birthday, and it was exactly what you wanted. You remember that moment. And at the same time, every one of us could get up here and tell stories about things you opened or things you received, and it was less than what you had hoped for, or you didn't get what you wanted. I remember my 19th birthday, My 19th birthday, my sweet mother, and she is a saint. I love this woman. And I know I was impossible to shop for because I kept my parents at like arm's length, would not let them know what was going on in my life. But still, 19th birthday, my mother got me the gift of, the gift of bubble bath. Now, I don't know if you know many 19-year-old boys who live in a boy's dorm at college. There aren't a lot of bathtubs around, let alone a lot of them saying, man, that's a stressful class. I think I'll go take a bubble bath. But it wasn't just like regular bubble bath. It was like fun bubble bath. It was like bubble bath crayons. You would draw on the shower stall walls and then it would dissolve into bubbles. You could draw pictures, write words. My mom thought, here, Adam, you're fun. Here's a 19-year-old birthday gift. Just go back to your college dorm with all those shared stalls and start writing stuff on the wall that will dissolve into colorful bubbles. The boys will love it as it goes underneath their shower stalls. And I don't know what she was thinking, but I remember opening it and saying what any 19-year-old boy should say, thank you. (laughs) That was it, though. In my heart, nothing but disappointment. Same birthday, my sweet dad, my dad is a saint. But he, I opened this gift, and this gift had some weight to it. It, was, it looked like a brick. I thought, man, what could it be, like a stack of cash? What are we looking at here? So open it up, and it is a brick of Munster cheese. And my dad said, well, Adam, I know you like cheese. I said, thank you. I went back to my college dorm room with bubble bath and my brick of cheese. And I had the best 19-year-old birthday anybody's ever had. I don't, I, I'm sure I threw them in the trash. But I was really, really grateful for the thought. Isn't it? Have you ever felt like when you opened a gift from somebody and you were disappointed, has it ever felt like maybe it wasn't because of what they got you, but maybe it felt like they didn't really know you, and that's maybe what made it sad? Like they got you something, and you're like, man, it's clear that we're not as close maybe as we should be. 
Or maybe at the other end of the spectrum, maybe somebody got something for you that you wouldn't even have thought to ask for, but you were so delighted to get it. Like they got you something and you're like, I wouldn't even have thought of this. And it wasn't just great because it was a great gift, but it was great because you felt known by that person. You felt like this person gave you something like you... You know me in a way that I want to be known by people who love me. And so this gift means even more to me. This is a little bit of the story of Christmas. That at Christmas we were given something we did not expect. And as we'll talk about today, in many ways, the Messiah was disappointing to people. It's not what I wanted. And yet at the same time, God knew us better. God knew us best. And gave us not what we wanted, but what we needed. In Jesus Christ, our Savior. And isn't this season of disappointment where we're opening things and wishing they were different or looking at our lives and wishing we were different? I know internally this is the time of year also where we take stock of the year and say, what was 2019? Was it what I wanted? Like maybe you guys had some personal goals. Like my personal goal, lose 20 pounds in 2019. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. But I mean, I got, I got 30 pounds left to go for next year, but that's okay. I'm going to do it. But if I look back at this year, I can go, well, I didn't, I didn't do it. I'm disappointed in myself. Or maybe you look at your job and you think, man, my job is not all I was hoping for, all I wanted. That's disappointing. Or your relationships or your lack thereof might be where you find disappointment. It's a time when we get our families together. What brings more disappointment than the comparison and competitiveness or the dysfunction or the crazy dynamics of bringing your family together and realizing, I wish my family was different? Or maybe as a parent, you look at your kids and you think, man, I just wish my kids were more this or more that. Or maybe you don't have kids and you wish you did and you're looking at your family and feeling like, God, I asked you for something good. You haven't given it. Or a spouse, you said they're good. You said finding a wife is a good thing. Finding a husband is a good thing. And you look around and you go, I haven't gotten it. So maybe I'm just disappointed. Disappointment is that longing for change, for difference. And it's the sadness that comes from the reality you're faced with, the situation you're in. So I want to turn to Philippians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, you can grab it and go to Philippians. It's Paul's letter to Philippi. We're going to the fourth chapter, which is the last chapter. We're going to read pretty much the last section of this scripture together, starting in verse 10. And what you're going to see in Philippians chapter 4 is a man in Paul who has so been sanctified by the Holy Spirit that it's almost like he's impervious to disappointment. But listen to the way he talks about what the Lord is doing in his life. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. He's saying, I'm so glad that you care. I am overwhelmed with joy because you care. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, like no way to express that. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. I'm not saying I need more from you is what he's saying. For I have, listen to this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. What does that word learned there mean? It means that I wasn't always like this. This wasn't how it's always been. But now I can say and be honest and sincere and genuine 
that I have learned that in any situation I can be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's saying if I'm in scarcity or if I'm in rich supply, I can do that. I can be content. Why? Through Christ. He doesn't say at the beginning of this, we're going to keep going in a second, but he doesn't say, I was so disappointed that nobody else helped me. Or I was so disappointed that you cared but didn't find a way to serve me or care for me or give to me. He says, I have learned that whether I don't have what I think I need or I have more than I think I need, I'm fine in Christ who gives me strength. Verse 14, yet, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. Now, he's not expressing insults to all the other churches. What he's expressing here is gratitude for the one who cared. The same way when you get a good gift, you don't look at all the other gift givers and go, why couldn't you have learned from this person? This person got me exactly what I wanted. But rather, in gratitude, he's expressing this gracious contentment. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. In other words, even when I wasn't with you, you were thinking about me. And it's not, verse 17, that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. He says, I have more than I need. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And the church said, amen. Amen. What is he expressing? He's expressing this beautiful gratitude. He's not saying, you owed me this. And he's not saying, I expected it and you met my expectations. No, he in fact says, I'd be fine without it. And I'd be fine with more than I need. Why? Because Christ is my supply. But I'm still grateful for the gift that I have gotten from you. Expresses incredible gratitude. And then what else do you see here? You see in these verses exactly the kind of generosity that should mark the people of God. Right? Amen? This is... The generosity that should mark the people of God. There was a need. You met it. You exceeded it. And man, grace to you in God our Father. Not because of the gift, but because of the fruit that comes from giving. He expresses also in, in a more clear way than you're going to see almost anywhere else in Scripture. Contentment. Contentment. Whatever I have, I'm content. Whatever I have is enough. This is his armor against disappointment is Jesus Christ is all he needs. And yet Jesus Christ finds a way to supply his people. Now, of course, when you read something like that, 
You think about, but what, what, what do we say to those who he doesn't supply? What about those who don't have enough? What about those of us who are just disappointed? And if we're being honest this morning, most of our disappointments are truly disappointment in God. I'm disappointed that God did not give me what I wanted. I'm disappointed, let's be honest. Disappointed that the life I wanted is not the life I have. That what I wanted to look like is not what I look like. That the relationship I wanted is not the way I want it. Maybe even the kids I've been given, as gracious as God is to give them, they're different than the kids I wanted. Even the good gifts he's given me, I can look at God explicitly or implicitly and say, God, I am disappointed. Because what I wanted was this. What you offered me is this. And the truth is this morning that what the Bible reminds us over and over again That while there are many good things, a marriage is a good thing, kids are a good thing, a good job is a good thing, living somewhere, having a home, these are all good things. But we get misled the minute that you forget that God is the good thing. And disappointment in our heart is rooted in loving something that is not God more than God. God, you are good, but I am sad because I wanted this. God, you might be good, but I'm sad because I wanted something that I thought would meet a satisfactory need in my heart. And what the Bible would say over and over again is that God is the good thing that you need. Psalm 16.2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. Psalm 73.25, may this be true of me in Citizens Church. Listen to this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Philippians 3, 8, the chapter right before this says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So the first thing you need to hear from me this morning is that the ultimate and only true good is Jesus Christ. And the ultimate Good news, gospel of Christmas, is that you already have him. So in the midst of any disappointment in this season, we can always fall back on the fact that we already have all we could want in Christ. This is the gift of Christmas. That while we may have further expectations for God, and that is not even evil, it is good. God asks us to ask him for things to belittle the gift of Jesus Christ by saying he's not enough leads to sadness and disappointment that is rooted in sin. So who are we to be in this world of disappointment? Well, let's remember for a minute at Christmas when when God incarnate comes as a baby in Jesus Christ, this is a Messiah that disappointed many people. Not rightfully so, but we can look at that time and place and see, man, people were disappointed people who were oppressed by a Roman government. Imagine this, after hundreds of years of oppression, what do they want in a Messiah? They want a warrior. They want someone who's going to come and fight off Rome. You know that Jesus Christ was born a Jew in Israel, and Israel was picked on by the whole Roman Empire. And within Israel, those who were Jewish, they picked on Jews from Galilee and said, well, at least we're not from Galilee. 
And within Galilee, people in Galilee picked on people from Nazareth and said, well, at least we're not from Nazareth. And where does the Messiah come from but the most rejected of the rejected of the rejected? And while the people may have wanted a warrior, what they got instead was a peacemaker. They wanted somebody to come and fight their battles for them with the people they perceived as their enemy. And what they got instead was a man who came and said, love your enemy as I have loved you. And what they may have wanted was a political leader, but what they got was a homeless prophet. What they wanted was a religious inspiration. And God sent them a religious nonconformist who said, the, those who are leading the practice of your religion are wrong. And while they wanted a king in a palace and expected it, he sent a baby in a manger. And while they wanted the army of heaven to come and battle for them, to fight for them, the army of heaven does what? Shows up and sings. That's the word host. It means army, a host of angels. The army shows up at his birth and they sing a nice song and disappear and leave Jesus to grow in maturity and in favor with God and man. You don't think there were some people disappointed the Messiah was a homeless prophet, a poor man, when all they wanted was what they thought was good, freedom from oppression. But what they received that they did not see was better. Freedom from oppression still leads to death. Freedom to do what I want still leads to me being king. But the freedom they received was a king better than themselves, king that knew better for them what they needed than what they wanted. So whether we've looked at God and decried explicitly or implicitly, I need something. Why have I not gotten? We say in the same sentence, Jesus is not enough. That's what leads to disappointment. God looks down on us in that same moment and can say in his quiet, powerful voice, what you have needed, what you need, and what you will always need is His Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, you see life as it should be. And that's why He says, I am the way. In Jesus Christ, you see a man who breaks through all the lies that we so easily believe. And He says, that's why I am the truth. And in Jesus Christ, you see the one that while we suffer, while we do face death, He has conquered it. He is the life. You think about the people that were around Jesus. It's easy for us now to read the Bible and go, yeah, it must have been nice. It must have been nice to talk with Jesus or to be healed by Jesus. What about me now? Maybe you're struggling with cancer now or maybe you're struggling with disease now or maybe your loved ones are dying now. Do you think it was any less disappointing to be one of the people at the pool of Bethesda that wasn't healed? To see some guy get healed and the rest of you sit there watching going, how come, how come him? He didn't even know Jesus' name. He gets healed. You don't think some of them were disappointed? You don't think some people were hungry the day after the feeding of the 5,000? And said, well, you fed them yesterday. Why won't you feed me again today? You don't think some people were still poor even after Zacchaeus came to know the Lord, gave everything back? Some people were maybe still going. But why, why didn't I get? Why didn't I have enough? Or think about this. It's wonderful to see Lazarus raised from the dead See, the power of God on display. Do you think the next couple friends they had that died, that they weren't still sad? 
Do you think some of them weren't saying in their heart, God, you raised Lazarus from the dead. Why will we never see this person on earth again? Why did I lose my mother, my father, my relative, my friend? You don't think there was disappointment, sadness at not getting what they hoped for in the hearts of those who saw Lazarus raised from the dead, the eyewitnesses to the gospel account? I mean, why was Jesus doing these things that we believe he did, but why only sometimes and why only with some people? Because that sure seems like a recipe for disappointment. Some people get what they want and some people don't. What do I do with that theologically? You have to understand that Jesus Christ came to tell you about the kingdom of God that will be fully fulfilled one day when there is no more tear. When everyone who is in Christ will be healed and with him forever and everything, there will be no more disappointment in heaven. And at the same time, the grace to you is that even sometimes in this life, we'll see victory over sin. We'll see healing from physical ailment. We'll see death conquered. But understand that our trust is in Christ who demonstrated that he has this power. And sometimes we know he is capable and he will do it. But there is a reason and he knows better why he does not always. So we trust in God's plan where he says, his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. God's mind is above mine. So then what do I do to deal with the actual disappointment I have when earth is not as it is in heaven? What do I do? My trust is that one day it will be. My prayer is that God would do it now. In fact, he's asked, he's commanded, he's commended saying, ask pervasively. Like a widow who won't leave a judge alone. Keep asking. Keep asking. He says in the book of James, you have not because you ask not. If you have an expectation that's not communicated in your life, how does that go for you? I know this trap because I've lived it. Have you had that moment where you were hoping one thing from somebody, but you did not tell them about it, so when they let you down, you still held it against them? I mean, isn't this marriage? Isn't this being a child of a parent? Isn't this being a parent of a child over and over and over again? Here's my expectation, uncommunicated, you did not meet it. And we hold it against them. This, the God that you have has asked you, communicate with me over and over and over again. Communicate with me. He's saying ask for it. He's not saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not sovereign unless you ask for it. He's not saying I'm not all powerful unless you ask for it. He's saying I have a plan and I've invited you into it. Ask for the desires of your heart and seek first his kingdom. All these things will be added to you as well. So what do I do with my own pervasive disappointment in myself, in those around me? The first thing, I would just commend you, Citizens Church, if you feel sad because of unmet expectations, you're disappointed in God or you don't love the life he's given you, then confess that. Share that with those around you who you trust. Be gracious with one another as you hear these things, but be repentant. Say, this is something I see in my heart that needs to change. I'm disappointed in God. And he says in Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You are never called in the scripture to bottle up what you see as wrong in your life and keep it to yourself, but rather to release it, to let someone tell you the truth into what maybe has become guilt, shame, regret, remorse. Let them see through that and remind you that the gospel never calls you to shame on you, rather always to freedom in Christ. It's okay to dwell on what's been hard, but it's not okay to wallow in it. 
to have a self-focused pity, to be wanting to be the center of it. Rather, we should try to gain perspective. Perspective means looking at my expectations and saying, are these reasonable? And if I have unreasonable expectations, then how do I put these things to death? If I expect perfection from other human beings, I am setting myself up for disappointment. If I'm not communicating my expectations to others and yet expecting them to meet them, I'm setting the table for disappointment. But if my expectations are reasonable and I'm communicating them and they are not met, then the perspective is what? Then chase them with all due diligence. There's a lot of godly ambitions in this world, good things for us to chase and pursue. This is great. This is wonderful. But when we're crushed because God did not give us what we want, we forget that He's already given us all we need, the manger and at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so in light of that, we readjust what we think about what we've been given. And instead of facing it with disappointment, we strive to foster gratitude. Just like Paul does in Philippians chapter 4. He is incredibly grateful in the midst of his contentment. Thank you. You've given me more than I need. And yet, even if I didn't have it, I'd be okay because I have Christ. And we trust God's plan. Now, one more thing I want to talk about. We've talked about the fact that sometimes we look at God and we are disappointed in God. But I know, especially in a room this big, that many of us in this room feel like we are a disappointment to God. That if you looked at our lives, you look at what we've done to those around us, or the things we've struggled with habitually, perpetually, or just who we are by nature, some of us feel like God is looking at us in perpetual disappointment wagging his finger, shaking his head, unhappy with us. Let me ask you for a second. I have three sons, Oscar, Gus, and Theodore, eight, six, and four. They're wonderful boys. If I were to introduce you to them, I would never, ever say, hey, this is my son, Oscar. He's about to turn eight. He's a huge disappointment. (laughs) How would that go? This is his little brother, Gus. He's six years old. Can't even read yet. Huge disappointment to me. And this is Theodore. Theodore wakes me up in the morning before I want to get up. Huge disappointment. This is Theodore. I would never, ever do that. Now, are my sons perfect? Absolutely not. They make mistakes constantly. But if I, a good father, delight in imperfect sons, how much more so your your perfect heavenly father, when he looks at you, how much more so does he delight in you? Do you really think you'll stand in the throne room one day and that Jesus Christ will say, God the Father, let me introduce you to so-and-so. I'm incredibly disappointed in them. No, in the righteousness of Christ, you have been made righteous. Your sin has been put to death. And while, yes, we make mistakes, and there are opportunities for grace, there are opportunities for growth, there are opportunities for forgiveness, Your heavenly Father is not the God of perpetual disappointment and intimidation. He does not want your obedience because or else. He does not want your obedience because you're just a drag if you're not. He wants your obedience because you are His delight. Do you think for one second He doesn't love you better than I love my children? And I love my kids. He says in Scripture, You know how to give good gifts to kids? How much more so do you think your God does? 
He's perfect. So when you take stock of your life and think, this is not what I wanted, you know who's not the culprit? God the Father. Now we might need to realign our expectations and say, what has Christ given me? Or why has he given me this thing that I didn't want it? We have to answer these questions. They're like, what, what about my happiness? I want it. What about my comfort? What about my needs, or my broken relationships, or my suffering, my sickness? What about them? God can answer you in the sweetest, sincere, most genuine way that Jesus Christ is the supply to all of those needs, to your happiness, to your comfort, to your sickness, to your suffering. Jesus Christ is your answer. He is your gift. At the same time, it's not always easy. You remember that when Jesus Christ was born in a manger in Bethlehem, a couple years later, some wise men came to King Herod and they expected to find the Messiah in the palace. This will be the king. And were disappointed to find that the new king was not living in a palace. And so Herod sent them to go find him in the city of Bethlehem. And there they found him and there they gave their gifts, which is part of the tradition of why we give, give, give gifts now. It's because the wise men brought gifts to Christ there as a young child. And what did Herod do? He ordered the slaughter of every toddler boy in Bethlehem. You think about what Christmas, what the coming of the Messiah meant to the families in Bethlehem. You don't think some of them were disappointed in the manner in which God came? You don't think some of them were sad that Christ coming into the world also meant they lost their child? You don't think any one of us, even now, could find that same circumstance in our life and say, but what about this? Why would a good God do this? If he's going to send Jesus, why wouldn't he fix everything? And God says back to you, everything that you're asking me to do, I have already done in Christ. That yes, this world is full of brokenness. Why do you think Christ had to be sent? Yes, there is sin. Why do you think Christ died? To cover it. Yes, you can look in your own heart and find ways in which you have not been who you're called to be. And that is paid for at the cross of Christ. And so for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ this morning, this is my call to you. We do not have a pacified version of the gospel for you that says, hey, it will always be easy. Everything will always be wonderful. And Jesus is just going to supply exactly what you want. No, rather we'll say things could be difficult and Jesus will always be what you need. Jesus is always not only meeting your expectations, but exceeding them. And you may wonder in that moment, why am I not getting what I want? And God's answer to you is that he's giving you, he's doing even more for you than what you've asked for, even if it's not what you've asked. Because God can do more than you ask or imagine. Yet we pervasively ask, God, give me these good things. And if you don't, Lord, let me trust you that you are still good and you are enough. I'll close with this. You know, Paul himself, we read today in Philippians, he asked for good things. He was facing suffering. He called it the thorn in his flesh. said, I've prayed repeatedly for God to take this away. And the answer God gave him was not, well, if you had more faith, I would. And the answer God gave him was not, well, I will cure this person because I care about them more, but you're still going to struggle. His answer to Paul in Paul's suffering was, my grace is sufficient for you. Like, even in the midst of what's difficult, I am enough. Amen?
Amen. That's Jesus. That's your Lord. The meaning of Christmas is Easter. That God came to take care of the brokenness of this world in his son, Jesus Christ. He loves you that much. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, when I'm faced with discontentment, when I'm faced with disappointment, when I'm faced with the sadness that comes with loving something more than you, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I pray that you would become greater and I would become less, not only in this world, but in my own heart. And I pray that that would be the reality for all of us in this room. Lord, I know that you have asked us to pray and that at times we know that you do these amazing things we asked you for because we have witnessed them. And yet, Lord, when, we, when you don't do what we want you to, Lord, help us believe that your grace is sufficient for us. And yet, Lord, this morning we pray for healing for those who are sick. We pray for relationships for those who are lonely. We pray for kids for those who want families but are childless. We pray for reconciliation and relationships that are broken and hurting. We pray for these things, Lord, because we know that is your business, to be about that work. And you've called us to do that work of reconciliation among each other. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would be my delight and not my disappointment. That I would trust in you even when it seems like you are far. And, Lord, you would be merciful to respond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.